Frank, there is nothing more than I enjoy than giving people advice on topics that I, I really have no business giving advice on. Yeah, yeah, but you probably have an opinion, so that matters, right? Yes, I do have an opinion. Well, I have a educate. I have more questions. You know, I like mm. to come at a question with more questions. Yeah, that's a way to cover the fact that you probably don't know the answer, but yes. <laughs> well, I want to get the full context, okay? And you were actually pinged on this question as well as many oh. of our friends. Uh, and it's kind of it's kind of topic because in the last year or so, I've built uh, many applications on the desktop with different UI technology. So I have used um, WPF with .NET Core and .NET 5. I've done WinForms with .NET 5. I've done Xamarin Forms on top of UWP. I've done some UWP stuff by itself. I've done a lot of different desktop graphical user interface things. Yeah, preach it, brother. It's yeah, it feels like there's a new one every year. You know, as much as I like to think like I think I'm always on the show saying like, I wish I could just use one UI framework for the rest of my life, James. The fact of the matter is that's just not how the world works. And <laughs> you have to keep learning them and they keep changing, et cetera, et cetera. Although I, I always look for stability. I also have learned many a framework over the years. Yeah, I think it's it's healthy to, you know, pick a UI framework that works well for you. I mean, for me, I try to stick in the realm of Xamarin forms as much as I can. But as we've talked about on past episodes, sometimes that works great. Sometimes it doesn't work great because of not necessarily Xamarin forms, but some of the sandboxing that occurs. We've done entire episodes on this and there's different requirements for applications. I think we've talked about this quite often on the podcast is every application is a unique, you know, um, butterfly and snowflake <laughs> and they deserve their own attention. I, I would like to say, and I would like to think that in the future that like, hopefully like .NET Maui is like a distinguished, you know, UI framework that covers even more, you know, platforms and more use cases than anything else. But there are lovely, 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 lovely UI frameworks just for windows that are not even just by Microsoft, but you have things like Uno and Avalonia and a bunch of other amazing UI frameworks from the community and from companies that are great. So here's where this topic came up, uh, Frank, is our good friend, Danny Ackerman, a uh, friend of the show, fan of the show. Uh, ding? Does ding? he get a ding? I think Danny gets a ding. Everyone gets a ding. Ding. Uh, when he pinged Alan Ritchie, me, Andrew <laughs> Hoffling, Depeche, and you on this thread, he said, for a new desktop app, no special cross-platform or, or web, U, web UI requirements. So no web, no special cross-platform, just a Windows desktop app. Not, not, not graphic intense at all. Oh, boy. Just a lot of data collection. Would you use WinUI 3, WPF, or WinForms? And I'm not going to, you know, everyone else kind of had some topics. Some people are like, you should just use Uno or Project Reunion and WinUI 3 and that too. And I go... Um, you know, I came at it a little bit different. I said, well, what are your business requirements? What OSs do it needs? Does it support? Like what upgrade do you need to support? Do you need to talk to a database? Like, you know, do you need to run long running background processes? Like is, does it need to be online off? Like what are your scenarios? Um, I don't know. Did I approach that the right way or the wrong way? I don't know. Oh no, a hundred percent the right way. Um, I remember I completely failed a programming interview once. 
And it wasn't explained to me in the end because throughout the entire interview, I thought I was rocking it, James. Mm. I thought I was the man. Uh, so the interview began something like, write me, uh, gosh, what did he want? He wanted a stack, a stack implementation, you know, like uh, push something onto it, pop something off of it, mm -hmm. kind of stack thing. And I sat down, I'm like, <laughs> I've been programming for years, I'll write you a stack, blah, 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 look at this stack that I just wrote. And by the end of it, he's like, you didn't ask me anything about my requirements. <laughs> like, what kind of data I was going to put in it, how often I was going to insert, how often I was going to remove. You just, like, wrote some code. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's good code. And it took a while for that lesson to kind of bake in that you absolutely do first have to cover requirements. Yeah, I agree, because sometimes you get a such a high-level question. And, of course, you know, I don't want to blame Danny here. He only had 280 characters on Twitter <laughs> to plus all the tagging to to put it in there. But that has happened to me on interviews as well. Someone gave me an interview question of, we need to roll out this type of laptop to the entire company across the entire globe. How would you do that? Hmm. 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 I've done that in a job, actually. No one ever interviewed me for it, but I was forced to do that. But yeah, that is an interesting question. Hmm. How would you move Mount Fuji? Yeah, how, how would you move Mount Fuji? You know, I, that's a great question. Uh, uh, and, and I came back with a bunch of, with, with, I think as I struggled through it, then I started to ask questions and I realized that I should have asked questions from the beginning because, yeah, you know, one thing that I think as a software engineer in my mind is I'm like a problem solver, right? And I think you're a problem solver and we see a problem and we want to solve it. And we're like, oh, like, let me, I, I can go do that. Like, let me just go do it. And sometimes it's good to take a step back because often when we're given requirements and it's narrowed down, you can come up with an even better solution uh, within those confinements. Like now that you have confinements uh, or you're confined a little bit more, you have to think even deeper and harder about the problem. So it even makes it better to have these types of requirements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially because you started with Windows, right? Like, what does Windows even mean these days? There are still enterprises that run Windows XP. There are people who run Windows 8, God bless their souls. <laughs> and, but, and you hope everyone's running Windows 10, but even Windows 10 has some really interesting um, what, plateaus, fractures, <laughs> schisms in them, where like you want to be using that magical, what was it called, like the October update, 1602. Like, Windows 10 isn't Windows 10. Windows 10 is... Windows 10 plus these four digits. And you really got to memorize what those four digits are to know your compatibility layers and all that stuff. I think that is one place where we're all kind of excited about WinUI, where they're trying to decouple the user interface from the exact platform version. But if you go look at WinUI, they're like, hey, we're only supported on these magical four numbers. So there's still a schism there. You know, you if you want to support magical four numbers below that number, you still can't use WinUI. In the future, the, the world is bright and shiny. We're, we're good. But um, <laughs> supporting the past is always the trick. Supporting the past is always the trick. And that often becomes a question that I do have to ask a lot of people. It's like, well, how far back do you need to go? And, th and that's one of the, the very first things I needed to know because I've worked in so many, and, and you've worked in so many different places over the years that these questions matter. You know, when I worked at Canon, we had a, um, 
um, monolithic WinForms application that took hours to compile, you know, on our build machines. And it bundled in all this SQL server stuff into it and ran custom scripts and did all this crazy stuff. My buddy, Jesse did the, the, um, the, the, the build, not the build scripts, but the, the installation scripts and <laughs> the whole thing, right. It's a whole, that's a, you know, that's a part of it too, is like, what only, what do you need to support? But then what are your scenarios for this application? Because, you know, the type of applications that we build in mobile are often relatively different than some enterprise desktop applications, like the ones I built at Canon. Because when we are deploying to the app store, you just give it a bundle and you go, here, here you go. Have fun with that. Let, let me interrupt you right there. I mean, that was one of the things that drew me to the App Store because I was a Windows developer and I constantly had these concerns. Back then, it was like, do I support Windows NT 4.1 mm. or whatever? But, you know, it was still the same concerns. And um, I, I loved a new platform because there's no backwards compatibility on a new platform. Isn't that the wonderful thing about new platforms? But eventually... I remember thinking like, we'll never hit iOS 10. And what are we up to, James? Like iOS 14 or something? So there's tons of backwards compatibility that you have to deal with in iOS. Although Apple has been uh, good about keeping the framework itself pretty consistent over the years, it's not backwards compatible in any stretch of the imagination. We all have to update our apps over time. Um, But uh, you know, pros and cons on every platform. I guess that's all I'm saying. Oh, I agree. And when Danny comes back and he says, well, I have to support windows 10 desktops and windows XP and windows seven and windows eight on tough books. Okay. That's a little bit different. You know, that that's a di- now, now we're in a different ball game all of a sudden, like you just added on a bunch of operating systems you know, and that you're on a desktop well, machine and a talk book. <laughs> well, let's just be clear. XP is like a special checkbox in the Visual Studio install. Like, yeah. it's a miracle it's still there. Is it even still there on the newest Visual Studio? Like, I remember Visual Studio 2015 being like that being a magical checkbox supporting Windows XP. So uh, I don't even know. So can you build a XP app with 2019? I wouldn't see why not, right? I mean, you one-click deploy uh, self, bingo, uh, bingo. self included <laughs> XE with .NET 5. And I think that puppy runs everywhere. Well, that's fair. Right. I always forget. Um, do the, does .NET 5 actually run on XP? I'm sorry. The, I'm, these are like the basic questions, but I'm just like, I, ne- I never even considered it. Does, does it? I, I assume <laughs> I, 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 Hashtag, I assume. I, you know, I work at the company and I'm, now I'm Googling rapidly here. <laughs> um, I'm only not Googling because I have a cookity clack keyboard. So I let you do that. I, you know, I, I, well, let's just assume it does. And okay, um, fine. You know, a- XP is the stretch, though. It really is tricky to support XP. I remember when I was writing Kelka, I specifically chose to use Win32, WinForms, specifically because I wanted to support Windows XP. This was pre.NET Core days, by the way, mm. everyone. So don't don't take my judgment as how you would do it today. Yeah, I'm Googling frantically and trying to... I don't, <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question, huh? <laughs> I don't know. It might, it might be framework in that in that instance. So, I mean, that would really go. I need to ask the team necessarily like, what's going on here, if that's the case. But, you know, I mean, that is a good question. Then I came back and I said, well, you know, well, now what kind of, you know, upgrade scenario do you want, right? Because, 
you know, are you going to put it in, obviously you're not going to put in some app store on windows XP, but like, are you going to do custom scripts? Like you're going to try, like, how, how are you going to install this thing? Like, that's my other question because building it and trying to get it run on a machine is different than, oh, I need to make sure that this thing is updating and working and doing all these things. And, um, you know, uh, Danny said, I don't need anything complicated. It'll be installed on like, you know, 10 workstations total. But he's, here's what he said. He said, I'm very, all caps, Frank, all caps. I'm mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. used to win forms. He said, and that would be the absolute easiest for me. But, but from Xamarin, I love data binding, dependency injection. I would love to have that. And additionally, he's never done WPF before or WinUI. And, um, you know, that also <laughs> alters, you know, I, now, yeah. but now then I ask more questions. I'm like, well, what's your timeline? <laughs> like, like well, what's your, do you want to learn new things? How, you know, how much time do you have a year? Do you have five years? Do you have 20 years? What's your, your timeline for this? And it gets very fascinating real quick when you just dive in three questions. But you also stepped on my joke. I was about to offer like, have you considered Visual Basic 4? <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful programming environment. Yeah. You drag and drop this UI, you build your thing up. So I really appreciate that Danny came back and said that um, he's very comfortable with Windows Forms because Windows Forms is basically what Visual Basic became. It's Visual Basic 6.0 using the language C Sharp. So it's a wonderful development experience. And I've literally given talks at conferences complaining that um, our tools aren't as good as what we kind of apexed at with Visual Basic 4 and Visual Basic 6. They're different because the runtimes change. Whatever. doesn't matter. <laughs> um, they're interesting frameworks. And the, the trick is they're old. They're definitely old. And you, you brought up data binding. And it's a really interesting problem because that is the one gift we've been given in user interface development over the years. I would say the big, uh, the, the big changes that we've had are data binding and then more recently functional reactive programming. But both of those are this, let's understand that data is harder than we were giving it credit for earlier. And let's come up with solutions to that problem. Which, by the way, I'm sorry, I just have to give a quick shout out to you. Do, do you remember my old um, bind library? Oh, I'm very familiar. I've used it many times. I've presented oh. on it. Ooh, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank and you. And with it. it. It's a hard library to explain to people, but the elevator pitch I try to give, it's generic data binding for libraries that don't necessarily have data binding. So WinForms, it actually has some forms of data binding, but it's not the most convenient thing in the world. Um, but more specifically, in my case, like UIKit. Uh, does not have data binding, really. So I want a binding library. So I wrote a binding library that worked generically across platforms. I just wanted to give a shout out that uh, I haven't been updating my library in many, many years, but someone released an eBind library out there. So go on GitHub and search for eBind. It is like an enhanced new version of a data binding library out there. And the neat thing is you can get these kind of fancy, more comfortable programming interfaces where you can use MVVM in frameworks that weren't necessarily designed for that. So just, sorry, I just had to do a plug for myself and uh, this new library out there, eBind. 
Well, funnily enough, you mentioned it. I already had that tab open. It was literally my next topic because, you know, that was one of those things that Danny was saying is like, hey, I don't want to write a bunch of this code. I'm so used to these new things, but I need to support these old things. And, you know, sometimes you can't you can't have the new when you need to go back into the past in general. I mean, we've all seen back to the future. You know, we know what happens when you bring things from the future into the past and things from the past into the future. Things can go awry. However, you're right. I think that there's some amazing libraries out there today that with the power of .NET, and if you could run .NET 5 on these different OSs that you need, then like that would be magical. And the eBind library is something that's really great, no matter what you're building it with. And, and ideally, you know, it's a UI. So I, if you can build your controllers or your view models or your business logic of your application completely separate from your UI, your UI could be swappable over time at the, at the same time. And if you're using something like eBind, you'd name some things correct, then it's not that bad, really, at the end of the day, the binding part of it could just magically work. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, I try to identify, like, what kind of app am I writing? Am I writing a forms app? And I'm using lowercase f there, <laughs> not mm-hmm. Xamarin forms, but like, is it a bunch of text boxes and an okay cancel button? Like, realistically, is that what the app is? And in that case, I use a library that's really good at that. You know, that's where data binding really shines in those forms. And I guess I'm using forms in like the web case, you know, that, that's kind of form. Uh, whereas, you know, 3D circuit simulators <laughs> necessitate <laughs> different architectures and binding becomes a more complex issue um, and you have to come up more more custom solutions. So it's always identifying exactly what you want out of your user interface too. So that would have been an appropriate question for you to ask Danny. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, and, and this literally happened... 30 minutes before we started recording. So we're in the, <laughs> the last update about data binding was four minutes ago. So as we were recording, these questions are coming in live with Annie here, uh, which is, I'm excited. which is fun, um, to have, but I, I think it really comes back down to that windows XP requirement. If that's a real requirement, you're going to have to live that's in hard. those confines. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's like when someone's like, Hey, can you go support iOS nine? And I'm like, Oh, maybe 10 at least please i mean 10 like they changed so much in 10 oh my gosh i was on that (laughs) ipad too you can't get away from it frank oh gosh is that at nine the two ipad two yeah it's stuck that's the one and a lot of schools bought the ipad two and they're stuck with them forever those are those high circuit users i love you all you're you're all wonderful but please buy new devices (laughs) i really want to i really want to make 11 my minimum version number Yeah, it's that's the that's the kicker is when you're in government, when you're in education, when you're in enterprise, there's a lot of different scenarios to incorporate into your your UI framework decision. And and the same has been true for the Web. If we think about the IE transition that, you know, transition through, there's I was on some calls recently where um, people were using the IE 11 backwards compatible thing because they had some internal application that only worked there or something like that, even though I'm pretty sure that works in edge now and just fine, but there's muscle memory. That's the other thing is, uh, uh, it's so hard for sometimes companies to switch away from an OS or upgrade because of the muscle memory. They don't want to lose productivity. So you'll see these, uh, companies big and small of all sorts that are just don't, 
move forward because like all this stuff works here and all this stuff is here and it's fine. But how can you use the latest React or Blazor, you know, all this new hotness in that scenario? And sometimes, Frank, you don't get to. I mean, <laughs> you, you just don't get to. I mean, no, unless there's a cool library like eBind, I guess. It's not so bad, James. Like, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to go back to iCircuit 3D again. Um, I kept getting writer's block with that thing because I had explored so many architectures. We've talked about so many architectures on this show. I keep going programming language to programming language, UI framework to UI framework. And the one thing that finally kind of released a bit of writer's block in me was going back to Visual Basic 4 <laughs> style programming, object-oriented these are objects, they have properties, they have events, they're going to do their thing. I didn't actually use any advanced binding library or anything, you know. I subscribe to events, I unsubscribe from them, you know. Kind of code I was writing in the 1990s, and it was fine. I got the app done. It's a big, complicated app that does very big, complicated things, and it's fine. So the one lesson I think I've really learned in my career is all these different styles work, all these different frameworks, even if they existed in the 1990s. Some good things came out of the 1990s, and they're okay to use, especially because I don't think Windows is ever going to drop support from Windows Forms. I mean, maybe in 2080 or something, but not in 2025, not in 2030. I think you're fine. Yeah. And Danny just asked me, he goes, is it still acceptable, right? To your question, like, is it acceptable? And I think there's multiple ex acceptance part of that. Like, is it acceptable as a, you know, a developer to be like, oh, I don't want to use it. I'm going to use this, this thing right here that trust me, there's a lot of people using WinForms. There's a reason that it <laughs> went to .NET 5 and that the designer was upgraded to work to .NET. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I'm pretty sure Microsoft would, and the .NET team and the WinForms team wouldn't invested in doing all that if it, if there wasn't a real use case for it, right? You know, Microsoft is very data driven and very customer driven, but there's also the is it acceptable long term to use this? And I think what you just said is uh, a great point. It's like I don't think WinForms is going anywhere. Yeah. I, th the sad part is we're not getting people advancing WinForms. Yeah. And I think that that's where some people start to feel like, is it a dead platform? But look, listen, <laughs> <laughs> there's button, there's list view. That's every UI there is. <laughs> there's custom drawn view. <laughs> it, you can write pretty much any app in that. You're fine. <laughs> um, so if it does what you want. Look, uh, so WPF, UWP, they're much better at high media. They have 3D engines built into them. They have much better rendering engines in them than GDI+. I specifically worked on a team that replaced GDI+. We were trying to improve upon WinForms. We were trying to beat it. And what I can say is we did create a better rendering engine. We did create a more sophisticated rendering engine. Did we create a better app development platform? I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to beat Visual Basic 4, James. I agree. Uh, VB is VB4. I, apparently that's your favorite number, Frank, of VB is VB4. Not VB6? It was the first one I could afford. <laughs> so VB3, I think, is actually the high watermark. VB4 is where they switched to 32-bit. VB6 was the last version before .NET. So it's considered the last version of VB, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. 
Interesting. Uh, sorry, I'm very old, James. No, you're not. You're like my age. Wait, are you? I don't know how old you are, but we're basically the same age. And uh, now I think it, you just happened to get into programming maybe before me, so you knew some of the others. I, you know, I got into development in my teens, so like 20 years ago, but I was mostly doing just simple websites and blogging stuff. I didn't get into, uh, I didn't get into anything beyond C plus plus in high school. So until college, and that's when I was like introduced like Java. I never did any VB. I skipped over VB. Like somehow I got, I, I don't know if I got lucky or I didn't get lucky because one, there's nothing wrong with VB. VB is great as we're talking about it here. Um, but I also skipped over basic by the way, like my, so wow. Yeah. I, my, all my friends, so here's how this went is in, is in high school. There was four class, four classes. Yeah. Four classes. One was basic intro to programming. And then there was basically three levels of C, C++ programming in high school for me. And the, so this would be your, uh, sophomore, a sophomore the year before junior, senior, uh, uh, senior, junior, sophomore, freshman, freshman. So ju- sure. ju- the year before senior, whatever that year is, that's when you junior. would take your basic course and then senior <laughs> year you would take, well, I don't, I don't understand. It's been whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. I don't even know. I don't know high school. Uh, so anyways, anyways, I would, uh, all my friends, they took basic and they were making a bunch of sweet games on their TI 83. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. Tense and, adventures, yo. Exactly. So I got jealous and I was like, I want to do that. But at this point, you couldn't just jump in. You needed to get like a special permit because you'd have to like take the prerequisite. I want to be with all my friends. You know, I don't want to be one back one. So I, uh, I was able to skip, skip over basic. Now I don't, I'm not happy that I skipped over basic (laughs) because I think I missed out on something fun, but it was the same in college. I went straight to, uh, object oriented programming. Like I just went straight to, um, to java and then i found c sharp and i never looked back so i didn't even get i didn't get i didn't do any wow. vb at all no i haven't i didn't get to dim anything can i be blunt i i think you skipped over the fun parts that's <laughs> what i'm saying yeah you went straight to the hard ones like um yeah i didn't learn object orientation until later in my career you know what do you need that for you got functions and loops and data seems like all you really need james um, I, I think the, when I say VB, I don't even really care that much about the language. The language is so, so what I care about was the, uh, IDE, the mm-hmm. app development environment, especially in regards to building user interfaces. We had the, what has become the WinForms designer was the old visual basic designer. And it's just a very high quality piece of software. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's taken years. Uh, the XAML editors out there are fantastic, but I think what we all found was like XAML is a hard language to write a user interface editor for. What we found is it's better to have hot reload, <laughs> just show it running, and I'll modify it, and that's good enough. But um, the WinForms and that user interface model actually did lend itself very nicely because it was more restrained. It wasn't as sophisticated as XAML is. XAML is very configurable. It's very advanced. It was less advanced. But (laughs) constraints breed uh, creative solutions, and we got good designers out of it. And so when I keep reflecting so fondly, 
back on VB4. It's not because of the language, I promise you. The language was so-so. <laughs> it's because of the visual editor. I think we've joked before on this podcast that the easiest way to get a button on the screen is is file new win forms and you got to, there it is. <laughs> and there, yeah. and there it goes. I, I mean, not to say that in, in examples, you can do, you can do the same example. You could put a button down and says, but it, if you, the, the difference is like to do it proper in quotes, right? You're going to do like a command. You're going to do this thing. You're going to do this data binding, but like in win forms, you're like, no, no, no. You just, you, you, you button hit click handler. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and there it is. Uh, so there, there's, there's those constraints of, of that in, in general, which I think is based on what you need. Like, and that's what I'm, that's what this is all about. What are your needs? This is, I go back to the beginning of time, you know, when I started my career evangelizing Xamarin, I was, I was like, well, what do you need? Right. What, what is your background? Oh, you're a C sharp developer. Oh, that's cool. Right. Oh, you've done some XAML development. Oh, that that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this stuff, this should fit in your wheels. Well, what are you building? Okay. Well, this is, this is the UI piece, you know, and things have adjusted over time where, you know, more and more I can adjust, I can adjust and recommend less things. Cause like, Oh, this, this thing does a lot more so it can handle a, a lot, a lot more for you. So that's where you need to go is you need to say, well, what are my requirements? So we'll write them down on a piece of paper, give me the checkboxes and what UI framework, what runtime supports those requirements. And that's even more important than, than what we're saying. You know, what is the deployment that fits my requirements and what is the, the runtime itself that, that is going to run here? Because you'll have the same problems if you were to go a web route, right? Like, you know, what's the latest and greatest for web UI technology. And that may adjust based on your business requirements, what you can actually use. There's, there's that, there's that, what can I, actually use versus what would I like to use? Then mm -hmm. that's a conundrum that sometimes it's hard to get over because I always want to use the latest hotness. <laughs> you know, we're, we're almost at 30 minutes. I'm still not quite sure what our topic is here. But um, I will say that your level of comfort with the user interface framework kind of matters a lot, mm -hmm. especially in writing what is oftentimes a one-off app, you know, you never know which app is actually important. People will have meetings and app will seem important, but then you'll work on it for a month and it'll become unimportant. And then one day you'll whip together an app or in three days, whip together an app and they're using it 15 years later. It's hard to predict these things sometimes. Uh, you know, so, something funny I've just noticed in myself Ever since .NET Standard, I can't help but to create like a core project in my apps. Mm. And even if I'm just targeting one platform, I tend to take this very cross-platformy <laughs> kind of approach where I try to put almost all the app into the core. Yeah. And I try to keep the UI layer as minimal as possible. And that's even when I'm sticking to one platform, just because it's cleaner you know it's, it's layers it's good kind of coding and what i love is I, I so let's talk about calca one my app that's really just a glorified text editor with an advanced uh, calculation engine in the back end and um that whole back end is a nice easy portable library but i wrote its front end in winforms why did I do WinForms over WPF? Well, I said earlier because of Windows XP. <laughs> it was an exact requirement like that. 
But James, honest to goodness, I can write WinForms code with my with a blindfold on. I can name you every API. I can name you every method, every property of every class. I know that API that well. And like I said earlier, it's not going anywhere. So why in the world would I not use that knowledge that I have? Unless your business requirements are to (laughs) do something different, right? If if your business requirements like, oh, I want the latest and greatest win UI with fluent design and, and this and that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to choose this thing that does that thing. That That's the difference, right? And again, those are business requirements. I was like, what do you want your, can you even accomplish the UI that you want? It sounds like with Danny, it's forms over data. So this thing's going to work great for him. But you know, that that's where you get down to is like, oh, okay. Like, what do I want to build? Because there's, now we're talking about the other side of requirements is like, well, what do I want it to look like? Can I, can I achieve that thing in this? And if the answer is yes, one, I'm super productive in this framework. Yes. And I can, I can achieve the UI I want. And yes, I can architect my code that it could throw away this UI and swap it out with something else. Like that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and I also will say, because I've been giving so much credit to WinForms and VB4 in this podcast, I want to give a shout out right back to XAML and say, I create better looking UIs in XAML. Yes. Because as much as I love the WinForms designer, it really is good. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, it's not as graphically as sophisticated as XAML. And you can do much better layouts with XAML and especially with hot reload, another shout out to hot reload. Um, Life is pretty good in that sweet spot. So even though I do have that real comfort spot, I still have this debate with myself constantly of whether I should go kind of the newish XAML MVVM route or old fashioned Frank route. Yeah. And it depends on what you're building, I guess. There you go. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I, I believe firmly that for me as a, UI developer, as of today, I am extremely productive building my UI in XAML because I've been doing it for so long at this point. And I like the flexibility and I like the layout system that comes with the framework, whether it's a WPF or a UWP or a Xamarin Forms, like there's flexibility in there and I really enjoy it. Um, and I do enjoy the data binding aspects of it to be very productive. And the tooling is, is, is great as well. And this would be very similar to, you know, other people that may be very uh, productive with React or with Blazor or with, you know, just Razor syntax or Flutter or whatever it is, right? There's that aspect of it is like, what do you like? What are you productive with? And what are you going to feel good about? Because that at the end of the day is what's really important because especially if Danny's like making this for work, like, you know, to me, it's like, I have to make something that's usable. I probably have to hit some sort of delivery date. I have to maintain mm-hmm. it for the next 20 years. <laughs> like, okay, well, maybe I want to pick something that I'm super comfortable with and I can, you know, bust it out a lot faster. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. In a corporate environment, I tend to take the safe, safe, safe approach. So when, whenever people complain about corporate programmers always being safe programmers, I'm like, yeah, for a reason. It's a tough job. So yeah, I um I I just might say file new WinForms in that case. I don't know. I don't want to make this uh, you know, modern UI versus WinForms 
debate or anything like that. I think we've given fair arguments to both, right? Danny, go off. Be successful with any of the things that we recommend today. They're all great. But again, I can only ask you so many questions on Twitter. You now have the (laughs) additional questions and knowledge from Frank and James to go off and ask yourself deep from within, what do I really want to build? And what do I really need to deploy that thing I built on? And then from there, go forth and venture onto your next wonderful C-sharp or VB.net or F-sharp adventure because you're using the power of .net and it's going to be great. Yes, and try to convince your bosses that XP is outdated and it's time to move on. Yeah, please upgrade. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. All right, now, Frank, let me tell you, Uh after hours, MacBook Pro, M1, in my hands, Frank, it's happened. Is it uh, the glimmering gold of the gods? It is. There's a big debate on Twitter whether it is more rose gold or not rose gold. And our good friend, JB, is going to be shipping me my MacBook Adorable so we can do a side-by-side comparison. I saw this. I'm very excited about this. I don't know if people have been keeping up, but your uh, MacBook has been stuck in the office for the entire pandemic. So uh, this is really exciting because I have to admit, it does photograph a bit pinkish. I'm not against the pinkish. I just want to know, is it gold or is it rose gold? It's gold. It's definitely gold. It's less rose gold, but it's definitely... Is it blue or is it whatever? (laughs) It is definitely hints of rose gold but definitely gold that is for sure um 100 i can guarantee you this but okay, uh, it's, okay, okay it's it's a it's a good device my new favorite feature is the touch id on it because you can lock your device with a press that's great and Isn't unlock it, it funny what 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 a silly feature but i i agree with you and i, I think it just shows that i haven't bought a laptop in a long time and i've just <laughs> yeah. never had that feature um did you know that it's also a button james it's your power button yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like you press it and it locks I never your computer. Pressed it for, I, I oh didn't want to break the button, so I didn't press it. I just lightly pressed my fingertip against it. And then I found out it's actually a button. It's a button, it's a button that you can long press, short press, and just hover over. It's it's a it's my favorite button on a keyboard in a long time. <laughs> um, I just actually like the keyboard. I had a fun experience the other day where um I, I, I plans got canceled, so I just had time and I sat down and just started typing a blog entry. And I realized that I just liked the keyboard so mm. much that I just kept typing. Nice and keyboard. I ended up writing an entire blog entry just because I think I was enjoying the tactile feel of the keyboard. It's a nice keyboard. It's nice to have a little um, T, T arrows back um, in mm-hmm. my life and uh, trackpad, great trackpad. I'm, you know, I, I texted you early on in the experience and I was very disheartened. I was like, I'm returning this. That's what I said. And, uh, Oh, I didn't catch the return part. Yeah. I, said, yeah, I, I knew you were this. disheartened. I was, I realized that I was not overly impressed. I was like, all right, it's fine. Um, but then I went back to my old MacBook 2013 and I was like, okay, no, th- this is much better actually than my, <laughs> actually, actually yeah, and, and here was the problem is that I was comparing it with my desktop machine where oh, okay i feel like my desktop machine everything is butter 
uh, because I have 30, you know, 64 gigs of RAM. I have this crazy processor. I have this crazy graphics card. Uh, but at the same time, the M1 processor, the more I use it, the more I seem to enjoy it. And it's very delightful to run iOS applications directly on your yeah. Mac. That is really, really nice. It's very nice. Yeah. As a iOS app developer, I feel a little bit bad that I still haven't updated all my iOS apps to be good on the Mac. So I'm really pushing to update continuous myself because it really is a big feature. There are so many iOS apps out there mm-hmm. that you just get access to. And personally, I found the M1 processor to be pretty much snappy for everything. So I think you are running into mostly development kind of problems, which is definitely where this computer fails the most. If you're just running software off the App Store, you are good to go. It's a great computer. Doing development, um, I think Apple caught us all a little bit by surprise and all the development environments are taking a while to update. Yep. Uh, I, you know, it took me a little bit to get VS from Mac uh, and iOS and Android set up correctly. There's a lot of changes in Xcode and Android emulators and things I wrote a blog on it. Um, and I was trying to figure things out, get things tweaking and working correctly. I figured it out and I was a little bit happier then. Uh, but I think a lot of people have chimed in, like they have some problems with Docker and they have some problems with some Python stuff or whatnot. Like, so you got some quirks in that development. If you're in Xcode all day, you're probably going to be very happy. That's what I'm thinking yeah. <laughs> in general, but not all of us are. And, you know, I just launched, here's the thing. I am disheartened here. here Here's the thing. I'm going to even step back. I'm not even, I, I'm disheartened because I think that people gave me too high of expectations because the M1 recompiled applications, okay, load so fast. Like they're, they're faster than my Windows machine that are like crazy, right? Like when I click on Visual Studio button, it loads pretty fast. Instant. It, I mean, the, most things are instant. Like the joke is you can go along the dock and click, 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 boom. and they will open as fast as you can click. It's very impressive. And even, you know, I installed Edge because I'm an Edge user on the browser. <laughs> when you go to install Edge, it says, oh, do you, do you have an M1 processor? Let me install that for you. And even that is very, very quick and snappy to like to, to load up. And I'm like, okay, this, this, is, this is great. And then you get into things that aren't compiled. And people are like, oh, it runs great. It, it takes a little bit, it takes a little bit longer to load up. And then I say, define a little bit because I'm sitting here waiting five to 10 to 15 seconds with a little, little bump, 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 bump. And I go, is that the app? Is that Rosetta? Like, why is it taking so long? for some of these applications to open up. And it's a little bit disheartening in that regard. And that was the thing that was really frustrating me because a lot of the development tools, not just Visual Studio for Mac, but other things that I use are, have not been recompiled yet. In my, my, in my whole tool chain, I have a lot of tools that are that are up and you know in there, right? So not even Microsoft tools, I'm talking across the spectrum here. And if you're a developer, you're gonna be installing a lot of different things and you, you're gonna run into this and you're like, oh, that loaded fast and then, oh, that did not load fast at all. And you're like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And then it'll be inconsistent because well, I'll, I'll launch like a Git client and the first time it'll take 15 seconds and the second time five seconds and then the third time 15 seconds. And you're like, 
all right, now, come on, what's going on? That, that's why I was disheartened, Frank. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I was going to agree with the inconsistent part. Uh, my understanding was that Rosetta does very heavy caching. So it's that first one is definitely going to be the slowest. So the first time you open any of the Intel apps, that is <laughs> them at their worst, basically. So run the app, load a project, kill the app, <laughs> run it again. Uh, what was sad was hearing that it went back to 15, because hopefully the goal is obviously for it to stay at the five seconds. Yeah, uh, there is definitely a schism between as good as Rosetta is, I just want to keep giving it props because as a programmer, I just still can't believe it works, but great job Rosetta, but it does have these um, slower edge cases and we are noticing that. I think I was complaining to you. I had to compile libjpeg, <laughs> mm-hmm. like of all things, like who has to compile stupid JPEG loading? Like that should be baked into the operating system. But um, just to make... I w- what I was trying to do was get an ARM64 Python setup mm. working. And they're just as far behind as everyone else. And it's not so much like you can get the ARM64 Python, but it's all the libraries, you know? Yeah. It's all the nougats that have to be updated to include all these kinds of new libraries. .NET 6 coming out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Times are changing. So, um I was disheartened that you were disheartened (laughs) because we are going to go through this one terrible year that we're all going through. But what I see is what you saw too was the M1 versions are just so fast that we're just going through this annoying transition period. So I'm sorry that you're disheartened, but at the same time, fuck up. (laughs) It's only going to get better. (laughs) I agree. No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm not too disheartened. I, I immediately set up Time Machine day one and I plugged in a two terabyte hard drive. I can always go back in time and wipe all my <laughs> development stuff away. But one thing that you convinced me on over the time was that it will only continuously get better over the year. We talked about this and that does brighten up a day. And and the more I use it, because once the apps launch, they're usually pretty solid because Rosetta is pretty solid. There's edge cases, of course, but you know, once I get my development and I'm debugging and I'm doing stuff, I'm pretty happy. You know what I mean? And, and actually it's faster than my old 2013 MacBook pro as it should be in general. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, and it's better going through emulation layers on the air version of this thing, which is, is very happy for me. And I, and I like the form factor. I still got to say, I still really like the size of my adorable. I think that that was just, oh, a, what, a, what a great it's form just factor. A good, I mean, you can't compete, right? Like um, I've been using the iPad throughout this whole pandemic. Mm. And so when I got the air, I was like, this thing's pretty heavy. It is. It is. <laughs> this this is not a light laptop. Um, I mean, it is relatively, I guess, but not compared to like an iPad or something. So yeah. The adorable will remain the adorable. It will hold its crown for now. It's very good. I highly recommend it for everybody. You can't get it anymore, but if you could, it's it's great. I'm, <laughs> ex- I'm excited to get it back in my life and uh, and see how it goes. I'm going to wipe it clean, I think, and give it a fresh start with Big Sur. I think also Ooh, Big, can it load Sur, Big Sur. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. My 2013 has Big okay. Sur on it. I think that also some of these applications and some of the quirks that I'm feeling with are Big Sur. I think that it's a quirky OS for a little bit here. That's what I think. 
Yeah, it's, it's a quirky OS, and somehow they've turned every one-click action into two clicks. <laughs> I don't know how they managed it, but <laughs> it just feels like you have to put a little more effort into everything. So, yay, times change. <laughs> times have changed. All right, well, that's going to do it. That's our bonus extended podcast edition in here. Hope everyone enjoyed this, um, and we'll see you next week. Hopefully talking about more macbook purchases thanks for listening